0: Part two chapter four of Better Angel by Richard Meeker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Better Angel by Richard Meeker. Part two chapter four Kirk came back to Ann Arbor the day before the wedding. Derry met him at the station, pinched his arm, said, Hello kid, I guess you were worried some. And laughed slyly. Kurt laughed too. In the light of Derry's smile, all histrionics seemed silly and unimportant. The car took them up the hill and around the campus. Home, thought Kurt, it was really another home, a place it meant something to return to. The day was too full for thinking. There were flowers to gather and arrange, and the caterer to see, Mrs. Grayling to console and pacify and wish at heart a thousand miles away, and a dozen details no one seemed to have thought of. Derry was perfect, all he could desire. Talk and explanation seemed superfluous. The letter, thought Kurt exultantly, had had its effect. But before they slept, Derry said casually, David wanted to come over tonight, but I thought he'd better not. You can see him tomorrow. You'll like him, I think. I know he'll like you. He does already. He's seen you on the campus, and he's begged your picture from me. He's crazy to meet you. Kurt's satisfaction thawed and disappeared. He did not want to meet David. He knew he felt what he would be like, and he tried vainly to pierce Derry's mind, to understand certainly just what place David might hold in it. He had slight success. Not that Derry was subtle or secretive. He took, as a matter of fact, a torturing delight in talking to Kurt of David, in hinting at a relationship he would not freely admit. Kurt, choking down his questionings, said nothing. Was this jealousy, this weak, sick feeling that was upon him? Derry had failed to understand. Was there nobody, nobody in this whole world of patterned people, who could understand? His misanthropy grew with his growing loneliness alone, even lying here beside the one he loved, alone. The wedding came and was over. No one, Kurt was positive, was so nervous as he, not Chloe, not Roy, not even Mrs. Grayling, who at the last moment, through one of those sudden changes that made her, like Derry, an enigma to everyone, had become tractable and even pleasant. He laughed at himself as soon as the ceremony was over. You'd have thought I was the groom, he said to Roy, and then to several others, not knowing what to say. One reason for his nervousness was the presence at the wedding of David Perrier. He had arrived only a few minutes before the ceremony. He had come with Derry into the bedroom where Kurt was finishing dressing. His eyes were troubling. There was in them, Kurt still felt, an intent to convey something without saying it. I'm very glad for this chance he said, smiling. He clasped Kurt's hands longer than strangers usually do. I've heard so much about you from Derry and on all sides. Kurt smiled and inwardly wished to the devil all such clichés and those who uttered them. That was all. After the wedding, Chloe changed to a straight black dress which she had never worn before, and which suddenly set her apart, he felt. Something's changed in her, he thought and tried to read her eyes as she shook hands. He did not offer to kiss her, and when she said good-bye at the station and offered her lips, he blushed and hesitated. She kissed him swiftly on the cheek and was lost in a crowd of relatives. Fool! Fool! Why couldn't he have kissed her? He felt David's eyes, cruelly curious, upon him. No, no one was laughing. The train pulled away from the platform. With the rest he waved and turned. David was beside him, and together they rode back to the house, saying little. There all was confusion. Folding chairs were strewn about, and voluble relatives were everywhere, chattering and munching the remnants of the cakes and the sandwiches. Oh, Lord, breathed Kurt as he came up the walk with David. Yes, isn't it a mess? Wouldn't you like to come over to my place for a bit? "'until things clear up here.' Kurt looked at him curiously. "'What's become of Derry?' he asked. "'He was answered by Derry himself, "'clattering down the stairs with a flower-basket. "'I've asked Kurt to come over to my rooms a while, Derry, "'until you get rid of some of this turmoil. "'Grand idea. Go long, Kurt. "'I'll have to stick around a while, I suppose, "'to keep the mob in check. "'And Lord knows how long they'll stay. "'Don't hurry back.' and be good children. He blessed them paternally, and gave them a shove down the steps. They walked slowly, talking of the school, of Chloe and Roy, of David's drawing, of Kurt's music. I want to be alone, 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 ran like an insistent pedal point through Kurt's mind. Here we are, said David. They were turning in at an old house on a narrow street. I like it here because there's no one else in the house except the deaf landlady. She lets me do pretty much as I please, though I'm afraid she doesn't always approve." The room he took Kurt into was surprising. Kurt had read of such places. He had never seen one. Never supposed they existed so close at hand. It was, in its perverse way, perfect. Yet there was something in it, as in some of the Beardsley drawings, that revolted him. The walls were hung entirely in black cloth. There was a fireplace of vivid blue and orange tiles, and opposite a low couch piled with cushions of a dozen shades. There was a coffee table, there was a Buddha, there were brass bowls and lacquered boxes. There was a lovely white statuette of a Greek Antonius that by the intensity of its whiteness and its cleanness of line made the rest of the room seem more artificial. It's—it's charming said Kurt. Look around a bit. Help yourself to cigarettes. I'm going to make myself more comfortable. Back in no time. He disappeared through a curtained door. There were no chairs, only cushions and low stools. The couch seemed most inviting, so he propped himself with pillows and lay still. Too weary with the day to care, very much, about the room or about David or about anything, he smoked idly and closed his eyes. There was a step in the room it was david he had opened his collar and put on a chinese coat of black silk with a scarlet lining comfortable he asked smiling very said kurt he waved his hand about him as david sat beside him on the edge of the couch you're not very collegiate are you god forbid don't tell me you mind of course not i'll admit though this rather takes my breath away I hadn't supposed there was anything quite so, so exotic in this he-man's university. No. David fingered the sleeve of his dressing gown. Was he amused? Kurt wondered. He must talk, he supposed. One couldn't just lie there and blow smoke rings. No, he went on, and you know it quite well. I don't run around much, but when I do I'm always confronted by pennants and golf sticks and traffic signs and covers from college humor and photo play. I know. Stupid, isn't it? I wonder. We all of us have a way of being so sure of our rightness. I suppose those penance are much more right for them than all this would be, say. I can't quite picture an all-American halfback rhapsodizing over this. They both laughed. You're apparently a very tolerant soul, Kurt. There was a silence. What was he to say to this fellow, whose eyes were always upon him so disturbingly? carrying on as it were even while he talked a second conversation with his eyes a conversation in a language kurt did not understand you've a victrola i see can't we have some music what would he choose he seemed to have a great many records kurt closed his eyes and waited good good he murmured i bought it after your review in the daily last winter said david and lapsed into silence Kurt opened his eyes only once, but closed them quickly, when he felt those of David always upon him. He was almost afraid he understood their meaning. There was a raucous noise outside of a ford stopping, the scrape of the horn dying, and the motor in a buzzing wail. "'It's Derry,' said Kurt. Feet pounded up the stair, and Derry came in. "'David,' he said, "'can Kurt stay here with you tonight?' Some of the ants have decided to stay over. I can sleep on the Davenport, but that leaves you out, Kurt. I'm sorry it's happened like this, but you'll have a good time here. Of course you may stay, Kurt. You will, won't you? His voice was eager. More politeness, more formulas. He was afraid to stay, and furious at Derry for not arranging in some way that this, his last night before going east, they might have spent time together. He might have managed somehow, if he had wanted to badly enough. Derry seldom wanted the right thing at the right time. He felt a wounded self-pity. I give everything to Derry, he thought, and he casually turns me over to someone else. I wanted him tonight. He should have known that. He should have known. You'll stay, Kurt? asked David's voice again. Do, do, pleaded his eyes. It's. Decent of you to take me in, was all Kurt said. I brought your bag over, and now I'll have to go back, Derry said. Come over in the morning, Kurt. I'll not be so rushed tomorrow. Derry left, banging the door behind him. It was hurt which Kurt felt most. People shouldn't be able to hurt other people so. Derry was, sometimes, like a Frankenstein, incapable of understanding. He must not let David see how he was feeling. David had, in the meantime, put another record on the Victrola, and to the music of it he seemed terribly and starkly alone, hungry with his love, and sick with disappointment. What he craved was understanding, and what he despaired of ever finding was understanding. The nostalgic sweetness of being young, of having a secret from an antagonistic world, swept over him with the music, and had he been alone— he would have cried out and paced the floor. The irony of the impulse curled his lip. Why not cry out? He was alone, really alone, always alone. These eyes that promised so disturbingly could not intrude on his aloneness. He would be as much alone in a crowded street as in the woods on an autumnal noon. Always, everywhere, alone. David's voice was piercing through. Shall we have some more music? Music was too disturbing. Could we walk a bit, he suggested. Good idea. It's nearly dinner-time, anyway. As they walked, it was an effort to make conversation. Kurt wanted only to be alone, in mind and body. He yearned for it, and played with a sad sort of satisfaction, with the idea that had formulated itself in his mind with the flow of the music in David's room. It made him seem a romantic figure, romantic because of his difference, because of this invisible, yet impenetrable wall, which was building, 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 between him and the world. How big did one have to be, he wondered, to live so always, feeding always on oneself, and spider-like, spinning such beauty as one might out of one's own being. The thought of the years ahead, old age, sent his mind huddling and shivering back to a present, when loneliness could have, being young, a sad and acrid beauty. They dined in a tea-room Kurt had seldom been able to afford. The dinner was good. They talked again of books, of music, of things both enjoyed. Kurt felt in David, perhaps because of his exterior, his monogrammed cigarettes, his nails that were too perfectly polished his clothes that were just too correctly fitted, that his mind, too, must be a thing of surface glitter, of right opinion, right, by the sophisticated standards of the young wits and clever-minded scoffers. He kept conversation pretty much on that level, but once, twice, an enthusiasm flamed through the languor of this elegant young man. Kurt suddenly wondered how much this exterior, that both attracted and repelled him, concealed, how just his judgment had been. Was this, too, perhaps, but another wall, but another means of protection? The thought intrigued him, and he forgot himself, playing with it through this casual talk of people and things at dinner, and later, back in David's room, he found himself consciously prying into this mind, consciously trying to fathom it. Was it possible that here, too, was a soul sensitive and afraid? masking its fear and its solitude behind a cynical and sophisticated exterior. He forgot his own loneliness in conjecture. Walls, walls again. Why was it that people sat eternally repeating platitudes when they wanted to thrust through to the pulsing realities? And he, perhaps, too, this one I have disliked, is wanting to break the wall and dissolve the barrier. The fire died down at last. The room seemed to grow as the light flickered and faded. Its black walls dimmed and receded. The white statuette of the Greek boy stood alone, white with an almost phosphorescent whiteness, in the gathering darkness, glowing against and through it. They had been for a long time silent. David rose then from the cushion where he had been sitting cross-legged by the fire. He stood for a moment before the hearth, his head thrown back. Kirk could not see his hands, but he knew from the rigidness of his position that they were clenched before him. It was a pose he recognized. He was almost sure now, if only he were brave enough. And then David turned. Kirk could not see his face, but his voice was one he did not know. Its languorous correctness was gone. It was half stifled as if by fright. He came to the couch where Kurt lay and was silhouetted against the uncertain flicker that filled the room. Then he dropped down beside him, and his hand touching Kurt's closed over it. Something in Kurt went rigid with resistance. He would draw his hand away. all the malice he had felt rising towards David during the past few weeks surged up in him coldly, but strangely he did not stir Kurt gray Kurt gray. The voice came huskily. I'm afraid as hell. I must say this or I'll die. I, oh, I've wanted to so long, thought it over and over and over, known just what I would say and how I'd say it. And now, now that you're really here as I've pictured you so often, it won't come. You see, Kurt, after I've said it, you may hate me always, but I must say it. I must, I must. I love you, Kurt. "'Oh, God, how I love you!' Kurt's throat constricted, a coldness pressed like metal against the back of his neck. "'What was this? What was this? "'Oh, Kurt, please don't hate me, please. "'I've waited so long, fearing you wouldn't understand, "'trying to find out the words to make you understand, "'trying to learn from Derry if you would, and... "'I couldn't be sure. "'I've had to take this chance at last.' Kurt could feel his tenseness, like a leaping spark through the darkness. Will you tell me one thing, Kurt? Do you love Derry? His secret. His secret. Yet now he could not lie. I love him, he whispered. I thought so, Kurt. I thought so. Now I know at least you will understand what I'm feeling. Now I can say everything. There is always such fearful danger in this... This breaking down of walls. His own words. Breaking walls, yes. There was a chance, you see, such a great chance, that you weren't like that, that you weren't queer. He laughed in derision at the word. And then, and then, you see, you'd have left me and I'd have lost you. Now there's maybe a chance that I can make you like me. Kurt said nothing. His head swirled with uncertainty. This was a thing he had not foreseen. Was it possible to love two people at the same time? What was he to say? Derry's indifference. I'm going to kiss you, Kurt. The face, the eyes, drew to him out of the shadow. Lips against his own, not Derry's lips. Why did he lie so still? Why was his tongue curled helplessly in his mouth? Why did he allow this? It was mad, mad. You understand now? He lay still, without answering, his arm across his eyes. He had been false to his ideal. Or had he? Nothing was certain. What can I say? There were torturing minutes of silence. There's so much to understand. You've surprised me so. I know, I know, my dear. It... Oh, I don't know how to say it to you. I'm not, I guess, a person who gives himself very easily, in any way. Not many people know me. That's my reputation, isn't it? So it's a shock to be taken by storm. All things with me, things that have mattered really and deeply, seem to have grown so slowly, so very slowly, and stumbled so. I can't make this seem... I felt that, Kurt. I can't expect, I know. But it's been slow with me, too. I've wanted to know you so long, so awfully long. I used to meet you on the diagonal sometimes. Dairy seemed the only way, and now you know, and, oh, what's the difference? It's such a damnable constraint that's put on fellows like us, Kurt. If you hadn't been one of us, you see, I'd have lost you. You would have despised me, even laughed at me. And there's nothing so bitter, so utterly cruel on God's earth as the intolerance people have of this sort of thing. Why, they are so damned smug. I hate them all. They think we are scum some sort of decadent perverts. And I know, and you know too, Kurt, that nothing so beautiful, so filling, deserves such hate. It's unreasoning. It's beastly and hellish." The walls had disintegrated and crumpled like a dream. Here was a wall down, a mask set aside, a something real and vibrant and amazing, a language he understood. Amazement was, perhaps, Kurt's chief reaction. Amazement at himself and at David was it possible that this was the suave, superior young man with whom he had dined so short a time ago? this eager, tense boy. The voice went on in the dark about dreams, ideals, and he let it go, liking it, wondering at it, yet afraid because it upset him so because his throat pounded and his scalp tingled with it. I love you, Kurt. I've never loved anyone as i love you you believe me don't you Derry was just a wedge a gate to you oh kurt there's only one way i know to show you how fearfully much i love you dear dear boy darkness hands not dairies, an arm beneath his shoulders not dairies, a swift and burning joy and dairy not sharing it a night of restlessness and fitful dreaming a morning of promises and at last because he knew david wanted it so much his proffered kiss on david's eager lips i guess i like you a good bit david you'll learn i'll teach you make you learn the room by daylight seemed a gloomy place almost oppressive your room is made for the night david david smiled at him from the tumbled couch as he went about the room flinging back the heavy drapes and letting in the cold clarity of the day I'd be utterly happy if time were all night, provided you were here. It's so secure and certain. The night you can make what you please. The day seems to run away from you, to be such common property. Kurt shrugged his shoulders. It's the room. Daylight wouldn't be so ominous anywhere else. You should get yourself a day room, too, one that's all light, as this is all dark. No, I'm quite contented with this. I'll just keep the curtains closed. They breakfasted on toast and jam and strong coffee, drunk from Chinese bowls. You're really going to New York today. I'm supposed to see Korlov Monday morning. It's all wrong, Kurt, that I should have so little of you when I've been so long waiting for you. Kurt was silent. Maybe I'll be seeing you soon, though. No. You're coming to New York, too? I want to. Ozzy wants me to come to Philadelphia, but I want to go to New York. I always have, more or less, and now that you're to be there, I love it. He'll let me, I think. He's a pretty good sort. Kurt looked puzzled. You don't know Ozzy. He's a sort of guardian. He's been very good to me. He smiled, a little ironically, but said nothing more. Kurt walked back to the Graylings alone. In him there was a singular mixture of emotions. There was elation and guilt. He had been untrue to Derry, and to all the theorizing he had so painfully built up during the summer months. Something had happened to his carefully constructed code, or to a part of it, but in the debacle he had found a lover and a greater understanding. It flattered something in him. Derry had never given him that satisfaction. Derry was an uncertain quantity. Always, Kurt suspected, it went no deeper with him than the physical thing. Derry had never said, I love you. He laughed a bit, and found a spinsterly summer-school student staring at him curiously. It was funny now, almost, to think of Derry in the role of lover. Yet he had always wanted that so much, still did. He had let David supply the lack in a moment of pique and indifference. Was it to go on? He needed time to think it all out again, and for the moment his mind rebelled. He tried to forget it all. The heavy luxuriousness of summer was soothing. The morning sun, mottling through the elms, was warm on his back, and made pleasant patterns on the walk. Patterns that would change and thin when fall came. From day to day the change would hardly be noticed, and then at last there would be only the skeleton shadow of bare branches. A potpourri from the opera Martha. His mind veered back to the ten-cent edition he had bought at the piano store in Barton unknown to his teacher, and worked at much more sedulously than at his scales. A bit of this air, a bit of that, clumsily bound together with arpeggios and obvious modulations. Then, at thirteen, its disjointedness had seemed beautiful. Now, the similar disjointedness of his thinking seemed, if not beautiful, narcotic, and inoffensive. He was reluctant to bring it to order. Let it go, for now. To-night, in the sleeper, en route to New York, he would settle it all. But it would not settle itself. He left after supper, a pick-up affair with bits of this and that left from the wedding refreshments. He stood on the steps of the Pullman, watching until the darkness and a hiss of steam drowned them all. He went into the brightly lighted car with the picture still in his mind, Mrs. Grayling waving gloomily. Derry racing along the track, shouting unintelligible lunacies, David behind him, waving, not at all, alarmingly correct, but with eyes that bothered him more now, he thought, that David was not there, than the night before, when he had been so close. There were too many threads, and they were too tangled. What was to come? What was left behind? He lay awake for hours, it seemed, with thoughts as inchoate as the dulled thunder of the train, the occasional flashes of light as he was swept through little stations, the muffled crescendo and diminuendo of crossing signals, like cleverly played glockenspiels, the potpourri again, with a new accompaniment, David, dairy, David, dairy, love, love, David, David. End of Part Two, Chapter Four